This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Wednesday, 12th of June, 2023. Equity markets on the rebound in Europe yesterday and uh, the U.S. as well, getting reasonably close back to the highest of the cycle in the case of the U.S., Sentiment very different in Japan overnight, and that is very much currency-linked as we have a pretty brutal strengthening move in the Japanese yen continuing. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, Peter, we're still gearing up for earnings season here. It is a big weight. You're sitting on your hands a little bit, I have the feeling, in terms of uh, reading into anything into the tea leaves of the market at the moment. But um, anything you want to add about yesterday's session and really what's been a bit of the talk of the town over the last couple of sessions, this NASDAQ 100 rebalancing. It's a big, uh, it's a big, uh, you know, index, and there are a lot of things that track it. How how big a deal is this, and uh, in your estimation? Yeah, we we talked about it yesterday, and um, just very quickly on the market itself, it it, it is quiet with bounce back, and the Euro- European equities are in the range that we in the range that we had since uh, mid April, and the S and P 500, as you have shown on slide two, John is just just pushing back towards those uh, those highs. Obviously, with the inflation report, uh, U.S. June inflation report coming later today. It's a key event. I mean, if we if we get a positive surprise, who knows? Maybe we can actually extend this sentiment um, even further and go back to those uh, cycle highs. But um, but yeah, we uh, you know the Nasdaq 100 rebounding. I've got a lot of um, commentary. I think uh, actually I, I read a couple of pieces yesterday, and I think even a Barron's article were completely wrong. They they even got the wrong uh, weighting because they had read the wrong section. I, I think I think actually this whole Nasdaq 100 rebalancing is a classic example of articles feeding on each other and whatever whoever gets first with wrong information just get copied over and over again uh, no no uh, no real critical thinking uh, but actually if you read the methodology paper uh, and you read and you get the actual weightings I'll try to to, ex- to show it in a table here on slide three but you can read my 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 analysis on analysis that Saxo from yesterday the short story is that you have so an index rebalancing in the way that the Nasdaq is doing here is not something that is going to create a huge amount of buying and selling uh, in the in the overall market value because it's just an index weight. It's the specific funds that are tracking those target weights that are in the index. It's those funds because they have a legal obligation to track the index with the lowest tracking error as possible. So those are the ones that are on the hook here, and they have basically been provided five trading days for this. So. If you take all the um, publicly listed ETFs that tracks the underlying NASA 100 index in, in its various forms, um, there's $270 billion of AOM in, in those 24 funds or ETFs, uh, and they're traded in Western Europe and the US. Um, I excluded some of the, there's a few ones in Hong Kong, but they, they, it's a minor detail. It's, they, it's very little AOM there. Um, then if you um, and then if you look at the biggest one is the, the one everyone knows even I think the listeners of our podcast the QQQ index tracker has 200 billion dollars so this is, this is the this is the elephant in the room they they are clearly the biggest one if you take that AOM and you you look at the new target weight so the five largest uh, shares in the index Microsoft Apple Nvidia Amazon and Tesla uh, those are the the five largest on the 3rd of July 2023 that is when they but then they did their uh, quarterly rebalancing uh, evaluation of the index. That weight was around 43.5%. Uh, 
that will, according to the methodology on a quarterly rebalancing, be taken down to 40%. So we can roughly estimate, there could be some variation, but roughly we have these new uh, weights. What you do then is you take the difference between the current weight on the 3rd of July and then the new target weight and you multiply with the with the AOM that these ETFs have. Then you have sort of the rebalancing value that is the uh, second furthest column to the right. So you can see that they will they, these funds will have to sell around $10 billion combined over those five stocks to get to the new target weights. What you do then is that you, you compare that rebalancing value with the average daily value traded, which is the column to the left, uh, and you take, let's say, 20 days, so you have an, a more smooth figure. So this is the average uh, trading value in those in those stocks. So you can see there is a $40 billion traded every day on average in Tesla, 20 billion in NVIDIA, and a little bit less than, than 9 billion in uh, Microsoft per day. So what you do is that these funds, they want to, because again, they have a legal obligation, the, the smallest price impact because they have they want to have the smallest cost for um, for the fund and for those that are investing into the fund. So what you do is you use it all five days, most likely. So you smooth your trading over that five period you have got. And, and by that, you participate. That's what I call volume participation. You participate in the daily volume, both on the opening, on the closing auction, and then throughout the day. And um, based on that, you can see how much of the volume you will have on, on average to, to participate in to get the rebalancing done. The rule of thumb in equities is that as long as you keep yourself below 5%, no price impact is expected. From 5 to 10, a little bit of price impact. From 10 to 20, the impact gets uh, serious. And just for so people here understand that the, the expected price impact, so you move the market, should be quite low for, for this rebalancing, uh, as I show here. So. Um, I, 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 I'm pretty calm around this rebalancing. So uh, I, my, my, uh, I think my job here has been to calm our clients and hopefully also the listeners here on the podcast. Don't, uh, don't trust everything you read out there. There's a lot of, a uh, lot of rubbish, and um, I, I would take it quite, uh, quite relaxed. Yeah. All right. It's something that's not relaxed is the state of the FX market in terms of some of the directional moves we're seeing in the last few days, and especially Japanese yen. We've been covering this, and I think what could be developing here. Oh, what's starting to develop here is a potential convergence trade between uh, Bank of Japan monetary policy and the rest of the world, assuming and accelerated by if we get a, an inline to lower CPI figure and if the market reacts to that with further sort of uh, uh, moderation in yields. We'll get to Altea in a moment on, on yields. The notion of that plus the, the, the anticipation that Bank of Japan just might start to tweak policy here already even in July – a combination of, of uh, Bank of Japan tightening versus on net and, and the rest of the world beginning to uh, you know, the peak coming into view. And as long as the long end of the curve stays stays stable or steady, there could be a convergence trade here, which could mean I have even more significant further strengthening of the Japanese yen if that's how it plays out. It's a really critical day, though, as well. And as I show on slide uh, four on the FX overview, Euro dollar chart is a little bit less compelling. It's it is of course coming into some key levels here above 110. There's that 110, I think 95. It is uh, um, pivot high from back in uh, in early May. Um, of course, that's a, that's a technical break if that happens. But if you look over at the dollar index, this the levels that are within a percent. Uh, I'm forgetting the nominal levels. 100 spot 80, I think it is. Uh, there's a double low uh, back from earlier this year that sort of coincides with those two euro dollar peaks, and it looks it's a far more clearly etched. And that's because of the influence and the weight of the dollar yen and the dollar index versus versus the euro dollar chart. So, if we are shaping up for a further uh, extension here of moderation in U.S. yields, no no uh, no evil seen here in today's CPI, especially if we get a soft core print. Oh my goodness, 
uh, we could be seeing a, a more significant dollar breakdown here. And then I wanted to point out, we're also seeing some of the more pro-cyclical trades coming up, still uh, lagging pretty badly out in Asia. We did see the uh, Chinese renminbi stronger overnight. There's some signals out there, of course, that they're trying to support the economy, but we're not seeing it enough in the key metals prices, et cetera, to, to boost the Aussie. Uh, the Kiwi is, is on its back foot after the RBNZ sort of confirmed that they're pausing and continuing to pause for now. But uh, if we look at in Europe, it's a pretty different story with the sterling breaking things and the Norwegian kroner breaking things. And I round that up on the following slide. Pretty notable price action there in Euronaki, as you can see, uh, breaking that 1150 level and even the, the prior pivot low there that's lower than that, as uh, we have uh, both, uh, well, we have this, this sense across the uh, FX space of a slightly more pro-cyclical bent, but as well, uh, a big, a decent pop in crude oil prices. I think that's also lifting uh, at the margin. And further uh, ability for this to extend higher if we get the sense that Europe's growth uh, issues are sort of beginning to fade here. Euro sterling as well, breaking to no, new lows since back, way, way back into 2022. A lot of that, of course, on the anticipation of much more Bank of England tightening relative to the ECB. Uh, and it's a key day there. Just does this move uh, below these 85, 20 or so lows? Does this hold here? So I think this looks like things are starting to break in places across FX. The big one would be a dollar break. And really the last thing that can uh, hold this back ahead of the FMC meeting, arguably, would be this CPI report today. Um, but speaking of uh, U.S. yields, we saw the the interesting ten year ten year yield break about four percent. That's sort of moderated again. It's, it still hasn't fully reversed by any means. Uh, but where are you focusing here? I'll tell you both uh, on today's CPI in terms of the U.S. yield curve, and uh, we also have some auctions up this week. And the first of those, the three year three year, was out yesterday. Uh, yes, uh, John. Uh, so it was actually quite surprising uh, how strong was uh, the three-year bond auction yesterday ahead of uh, today's CPI numbers. Uh, it's uh, it basically recorded the lowest primary dealer award um, on on record, and the bid to cover was at two point eighty-eight uh, times. So uh, it was incredibly solid. It's true that on a three-year Treasury's duration risk is minimal, but uh, still. Um, it seems that the market is quite complacent, uh, and uh, they're thinking that uh, the CPI is going to um, it's going to fall from uh, 5.3% to 5% as expectations uh, dictate. That's the core, uh, the core uh, year and the year. The core. Yeah. I'm looking. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And uh, then I'm gonna take you on slide number six because uh, my question here is. Uh, um, where does the Federal Reserve want to arrive in tightening uh, the economy? And so what I did, I, I spoken a lot about the real Fed fund rate that has uh, recently turned positive, but it's not enough to tighten uh, conditions effectively. Uh, but what I've done in this graph here is that uh, I I've taken the core PCE deflator um, with its forecasts and uh, also the um, Fed fund rate with... Uh, uh, Fed fund rate futures. And uh, what I'm trying to understand is where the Fed is aiming at. And uh, right now, if I take the spread between the, um, the, the Fed fund rate and then core PCE, it looks like uh, the Fed is aiming uh, at uh, the real Fed fund rate uh, reaching 2%. Uh, that's the highest that we had basically in 15 years. And uh, it is uh, three times uh, higher than where we are at now. So the next question is going to be, 
uh, what's going to happen to risky assets. And I'm going to take you on slide number seven because uh, the best performing bond class here today is junk bonds. They have returned uh, since the beginning of the year until today 5%, uh, while uh, while uh, investment-grade credits have returned only uh, 1%. And also yesterday, Peter, there was a story in Bloomberg showing that the, the premium that uh, uh, equities now are providing over cash is the worst that has been since the dot-com uh, bubble. So what they do is that they take uh, the Standard & Poor's um, 500 earning yields minus the three months uh, treasury bills, then now it's at 5.44%, and uh, that turned uh, negative. So the big question here is if we have uh, risk-free assets providing always, uh, um, continuing to provide a considerable high yield, when are we going to see rotation from uh, risky assets to risk-free assets? When are we going to see that, Peter? (laughs) Well, I don't know. <laughs> Time will tell. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting to know because supposedly if, if real yields are not very high now and they're set to go higher, of course, those real yields are uh, a calculated uh, data point based on those those curves that Altia mentions and assume that uh, core PCE inflation does continue to drop and that the Fed fund stays fairly steady into early next year. And even if it does drop, that the PCE core is dropping even faster. So um, it's, it's a bit of an odd way around to get, to get the real... Uh, yield the real policy uh, tightening. But uh, the market does seem very complacent. Let's see if that is justified through today's CPI, the reaction function, and then as we work into earnings season in terms of uh, uh, risky assets and uh, their valuation. Uh, you know, the multiples have, have really been aggressively shifted more than, I guess, Peter, as you'll say on your earnings watch there on slide eight. It's more about the uh, although earnings estimates are rising, the, the, the performance in the equity market has been more about marking up. Uh, the multiples has it not yeah i mean the if you look at the if you look at i mean you an easy way of looking at this is that on slide eight you can see that the the forward earnings estimates are up one and a half percent cumulative from the starting point of uh first of january and with an s p 500 up more than 15 percent um the majority of the move we've seen so far is uh, a multiple expansion and what people are willing to pay for earnings. So that is a reflection of anticipation of, of, of growth acceleration. And, and and that's also why we have been saying that, you know, we, we're coming into this earnings season with very, very elevated, uh, very elevated uh, expectations. And it's going to be quite interesting. It's actually the exact opposite of when we went into the Q1 earnings season. Um, and I'm really, I'm really curious to see whether these companies can actually deliver on it. Um, we know from the various uh wage indicators we have on the uh, on the on the various economies um in us in particular that there is significant wage pressure and 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 it's it's really it's really there especially for the job switches because the job market is still very tight so that means that the margin pressure i just got an, an email actually yesterday from bloomberg uh, on my assessment of what i think will happen in the q2 earnings season and uh, um it's uh, sometimes it feels like a guessing game, but my ge- my guess is that the the margins will continue to be under pressure uh, for these companies because of that weight uh, component, and that's also why in the, today's inflation report, I will try to zoom out from the headline and the uh, and the uh, the usual core definition. I'm I'm still have my eyes uh, laser focused on the um, on the U.S. services sector 
uh, excluding energy as uh, which is almost 60 percent of the inflation component because i think this is where the stickiness is this is where you should be focusing instead of um instead of the instead of elsewhere so uh, but um yeah the earnings watch um Delta Airlines, Pepsi-Cola are the first two major consumer companies to report tomorrow. And then we have on Friday, those US banks. Um, expectations are very low for these US banks. And that's also what we talked about in our internal meeting, uh, Cohen, which is our uh, Belgium uh, options uh, specialist. Uh, he he was talking about that there was an, a little bit unusual behavior in the options market going into these Friday's earnings from this, these banks as the implied volatility was actually falling. And normally what you see is actually the implied volatilities of rising into those earnings releases, reflecting the, of course, the uncertainty and the impact of any given result. Um, but that's not actually not what you see from these banks. So it, it's opening up a path or a, a window to a larger a larger move, should these banks surprise to the upside, which I have um, leaned towards that they will. So um, yeah, and with some see. low and with some low implied volatilities on the options, it's a, it's a lot cheaper to uh, if one does have a view, if one does have a positive view, uh, when you have extremely low volatilities, uh, those one week plus options, I believe it's the twenty first, they expire. Uh, yes, of course, next Friday. Then, um, uh, then the multiples on a, on a proper surprise are, are quite interesting for for a one week um, uh, speculative play on something like that. So, um, only options trader or people that are experienced with options should consider such strategies. But I, I do find that interesting uh, as well. All right, let's go to the macro calendar. June CPI is so critical today, and I think the volatility potential here is quite tremendous if, and not only if, but especially if, we get a soft surprise. And we have a pretty aggressive, especially on the headline expectations, that 3.1% expected year-on-year on the headline versus the 4.0. We are getting on the most favorable sort of year-on-year -year decline comparisons because of there was in June last year that we saw the the biggest spike in, in, for example, U.S. gasoline prices and things that were feeding into headline inflation. Uh, and then on the core, more important, if we saw a soft surprise, I would say especially on the month-on-month -month, uh, core or so-called ex-food and energy, it's expected to plus 0.3. Um, you know, if we do a run rate on that for the year and year, it's still around 4% core inflation uh, if, if it stays at 0.3. But it goes to 0.2, I think that's a game-changer for what it means for the market, especially in FX, especially on that Japanese yen and the convergence uh, trade potential there. And then the year-on-year, year year, as Elton mentioned, expected a 5.0%. We have a Bank of Canada meeting up today, and I'm actually reassessing. I was thinking it's so silly for them to have restarted their uh, rate hike cycle uh, only for one month and then to pause again the following month. But uh, sifting through the data, I can see why it's about 50-50 or slightly better than that, that they moved today. Uh, we saw a very soft IVPMI. We saw the unemployment rate ticking up. Even though it was a very strong payrolls report, notoriously, by the way, a volatile um, uh, reports month to month on payrolls out of Canada. Uh, but then the earnings was also weaker than expected and a slightly softer than expected uh, CPI at the core on the last print in May. So, or it was the print was in, in late June, but it was for the May CPI. So uh, I'm I'm open to to them doing anything. I suspect they'll either do a hawkish hold, saying, "Well, we're still on the on the watch," and may hike again. Or if they do do a hike, it could be a dovish uh, hike. But uh, oil is supporting the Canadian dollar. I still would lean for them to, to hike, but I can understand, uh, given the data, that they say, well, well, we'll give it one more month to see if we need to hike again and their guidance. Ten-year uh, treasury auction today and a 30-year tomorrow. Keep that uh, in mind. And we have some little bits and pieces as well. Rick's house price balance out of the UK as we all shield our eyes to the coming mortgage resets that are uh, coming in with a couple hundred basis point higher resets. Uh, and, and more so for those that have been holding fixed for a while in the UK mortgage market. So um, 
uh, that that's a, a worry going forward uh, beyond the next few months for the UK uh, economy. For now, it's a wrap. It's uh, going to be an interesting day, and we'll wrap it up tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.